0: You're impossibly fast and strong. Your skin is pale white and ice cold. Your eyes change color. You never eat or drink anything. You don't go out in the sunlight. I know what you are. Say it.
1: Out loud. Say it.
0: vampire.
2: Welcome to this very special 20th episode of You Should See the Other Guy, in which we are not just discussing the love triangle of one movie. Nay, we have watched for you, dear listeners, all five movies (laughs) of the Twilight franchise. And we are here to have the discussion about Edward and Jacob once. And for all. The fucking monster (laughs) mash, That was Sadie.
1: I am Jennifer. I'm Samantha.
2: (laughs) This movie has addled our brains. I mean, movie, I say. We watched them all so quickly that it, it was really an experience. And now we shall summarize them for you in turn.
0: Okay, so I'm starting with number one. The most iconic one. And let me just say, the psychic damage I was dealt writing this summary, (laughs) you never realize how much happens in this movie until you have to distill it down to its essential parts. And every scene is equally bad, which means they're equally important to me. So (laughs) anyway, anyway, let's begin. Twilight. Opening scene, moving day. Bella Swan. The palest person in Arizona is saying goodbye to her mom, Renee, and is moving across the country to live with her dad in rainy as hell, Forks, Washington, after Renee decided that she'd rather hit the open road with her boyfriend. Cue Full Moon by the Black Ghosts, which is the greatest song ever made. She flies to Forks, and in the following scenes, we're introduced to Charlie, Bella's dad, and dorky pre-Werewolf Jacob, who is The best Jacob, as an aside. And it's also important to note that Jacob isn't really a romantic option at this point in the series. He's just the sweet boy next door, childhood best friend, etc. He's great. On Bella's first day of school in Forks, in the most dramatic scene, enter the Cullen kids as they breeze into the cafeteria. Siblings who openly fuck each other. And that's just fine, apparently. (laughs) Spotlight shines on Jacob, or on Edward... Oops, the sex pot. Freudian. Who later looks like he's about to throw up when he first meets her later in biology, and then he disappears for a week, like an asshole. (laughs) Things just start hippening from here. He stops a careening van from hitting her, then gaslights her about that happening. Then the script tries to tell us that they're like frenemies or something. And then during a hangout with Jacob on the reservation, Bella is informed that the Cullens and the Quileute tribe are in a long-standing feud, which is why Edward isn't allowed to join them at the beach. Or this becomes important later on. Edward then stalks her on a trip to a local city, and reveals he can read everyone's mind, but her, and she doesn't fucking question it. Boom! I know what you are. Say it. Vampire. Shit's real now. He shimmers. You can say he's a big beast with a big thorn in his beastie paw. Oh, you know I thought <laughs> Throw about
2: back it. Throwback to you Leap here. You I thought about it.
0: Bella <laughs> meets the family. And then there is the baseball scene. Cue Supermassive Black Hole by Muse, the other greatest song ever made. This scene serves no purpose other than to be perfect cinema in every way. And also to bring the Cullens head to head with... A traveling trio of vampires who serve as our first big bad for Bella and Edward's forbidden love. James, one of the vampires, becomes obsessed with Bella and won't rest until he kills her. While James' mate Victoria just stands there looking red-haired, gorgeous, and bewildered. So yeah, this whole section is not important. I skip it every time I watch it. It doesn't fucking matter. But she leaves with the Cullens in the middle of the night. Bella does. Ends back up in Phoenix. Almost gets herself killed by Jacob, or by James. But then Edward saves her. They go to prom. Edward says he'll never bite her. And Victoria watches from a window, but doesn't attack them for some reason. End movie one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, that was back in
2: Phoenix? Oh, yeah. The, the ballet studio part? Yeah. Which is very confusing because this ballet studio also was full of mirrored columns, not just mirrors on the wall, which I feel like would be a recipe for disaster when you're actually attempting to practice ballet in it. It's like a, a mirror, like
0: a like a, a, a hall of mirrors. <laughs>
2: And I would also like to note that Victoria, presumably a grown-ass woman before she became a vampire, somehow procured and put on a prom dress and went into a high school to perform that impotent window-watching scene at the end.
0: Which I never fucking understand. It's like they're right there. They're at literally their most vulnerable. Kill her now. (laughs) In this series. For all of us. <laughs>
1: Fucking
2: lay waste to this prom. Like, what the... Anyhow, <clears throat> before we resume our discussion, we shall move on to the second film of the what is this like a quintuplet what do you it's call a it? saga it's five movies a saga <laughs> Okay,
1: <Samantha>. uh, <laughs> new moon bella turns 18 which makes her age gap with edward only infinitesimally less creepy because he's 107 but she is still worried about being older than him, which manifests itself in a nightmare vision of herself as a grandma standing next to a young Robert Pattinson in a meadow for her birthday. She goes to a party at the Collins house and she gives herself a shockingly deep and narratively convenient paper cut on a birthday card. And then the Collins are all like, birthday cake? How about Bella cake? Um, (laughs) So Edward has to stop Jasper from eating Bella. And then he's like, sorry, we have to move away from Washington so that we don't eat you. Totally normal reason to break up with your high school girlfriend. (laughs) Bella, after that, Goes into her room and screams a lot and listens to Eric Carmens all by myself on loop for like three months. And her dad is like, The fuck is going on with you? So he threatens to send her to Florida where Bella knows presumably that she'll get the worst sunburn of all time. So she's like, no, please, um, I'll hang out with other people instead of just screaming in bed alone all day, every day. So she does all sorts of self-destructive things, chief among them making motorcycles with Jacob, who still has long hair at first and says that the other people he hangs out with, they're like cliff diving and... There's some kind of, I don't know, pack going on. I mean, we all know the reason for it, but at first it seems kind of murky. Meanwhile, in Italy, Edward wants the vampire council Volturi, chaired by a delightfully campy Michael Sheen, to kill him because he thinks Bella is dead. Or or wait, I think I'm going out of order. But anyway, uh, Jacob's a werewolf and he gets short hair. And Laurent... The evil vampire almost attacks and kills Bella, and then the werewolves save her, and then Bella shortly thereafter is like, oh my god, Jacob is a werewolf, and now that I know he's a mythical bad boy with a secret, I'm like totally hot for him, but not really, because I'm still just waiting for Edward to come back. And then Jacob is like weird around her, and then she's like, okay, I'm going to throw myself off the cliff. And that's why Edward has the vision of Bella dying. And that's why he goes to the Voltaire and is like, kill me, Michael Sheen. And Michael Sheen is like, nah. And so Edward is like, okay, I'll force you to kill me by showing my dazzling diamond skin to the anti-vampire festival that's happening conveniently right outside the front door. <laughs> when you put it like that. <laughs> yeah. But Bella and Alice arrive in the nick of time. They push him back inside the Volturi mausoleum. And then the Volturi are like, okay, you need to change Bella into a vampire or else. And then back in Forks, the Cullens are like, okay, cool. We'll make you a vampire. And Edward is like, okay, I'll do it if you marry me, which isn't manipulative at all. And that's the end of New Moon.
2: Twilight Eclipse, the third film in this series, begins much like any given new season of the lesbian soap opera The L Word during its original run from 2004 to 2009. In that, many significant character motivations, behaviors, and plot informing personality traits are now inexplicably, unrecognizably, and contradictorily different from their depictions in the preceding installments and we as viewers are expected to just deal with it. Jacob is now a consent disregarding closed mouth kiss assaulter. Edward is now no longer burdened by the bloodlust that made him a danger to Bella in the first two narratives when he referred to her as his own personal brand of heroin and he is now willing to make out if not down to fuck. Bella is now very obviously way more into becoming a vampire than she is into. Interested in experiencing true love with Edward, but she is still comfortingly, even if she gives a little bit of lip service to, you know, the opposite. A vacuous nothing burger whose permanent concern is satisfying her own immediate desires with absolutely no care for the emotional and physical trauma her decisions may impart upon everyone else around her. Everyone Else has received a major wig upgrade with the exception of the middle management level antagonist, Victoria, who we mentioned in the first movie who has now been recast as Bryce Dallas Howard and forced to wear what appears to be a highly flammable plastic party city monstrosity, even though Bryce Dallas Howard is famously a natural redhead and the stylist could have just used a curling wand. Also, The Foley art in the third movie was astounding. Vampires are now revealed to be made of rock crystal and make the same noise as Sonic the Hedgehog does when he zooms through a golden (laughs) ring whenever their heads are forcibly wrenched from their bodies. So the plot is some wild ass bullshit about some of the Volturi setting up Victoria to set up an army of newborn vampires in Seattle to fight the Cullens in some weird attempt to force the Collins to come back into the Volturi fold, but without Michael Sheen's knowledge because apparently they didn't have the budget for both Michael Sheen and Bryce Dallas Howard in this installment. But these part of the Volturi didn't reckon on the werewolves being willing to team up with their mortal enemies, the vampires, because the werewolves in the third movie are a gaggle of shirtless himbos who are apparently debilitatingly empathetic to Jacob's unearned and frequently rejected regard for Bella. Everyone cares way too much about Bella, who is a terrible daughter, a shitty romantic partner, and an absolutely abysmal platonic friend. Rosalie gets a brief, super traumatic backstory about getting gang-raped, left for dead, and condemned to eternal vampirism against her will, which elicits a slow blink of boredom from Bella. Jasper has a (laughs) brand new accent (laughs) and is revealed to be a Confederate officer who was turned into a vampire by an evil Latinx babe to train, maintain, and dispose of armies of newborn vampires to conquer new territories. And he also informs us that in this universe, newborn vampires, and yes... Newborn is their slang for fresh off-the-bite vamp babies. (laughs) Are stronger and more powerful than older vampires, and that they are completely blood mad and unable to control themselves, but also able to travel in packs and do organized combat with advanced hand-to-hand fighting skills. There's a bunch of contrivances requiring Jacob to carry Bella up mountains and keep her from freezing with his body heat, even after he kisses her and she punches him in the face in response. Bella and the Cullens graduate from high school, and Anna Kendrick. I thought at this time, gets to deliver a farewell, she actually did not, to this series as the valedictorian. The Cullens throw a house party for a bunch of teenagers even though Jasper tried to eat Bella when they threw her a party last movie. At some point, Bella sat in on a private Quilead tribal meeting and I briefly exited my body in embarrassment on behalf of the entire human species in witness to Stephanie Myers strange kids bop version of an actual, real existing human tribes cosmological folklore. Bella and Jacob kiss again, but Edward doesn't mind. The bad guys get shattered. Jacob gets squashed, but it's okay because he gets fixed again after screaming a lot because his bones healed the wrong way and had to be rebroken to heal the right way. The Cullens take a cute, small teen vampire under their protection, but then passively stand down and let the Volturi brutally murder her, even though they have the upper hand in the situation. Bella and Edward go sit in a flower field and she delivers trust me, the exact speech you invent on the fly when you were poorly attempting to justify your decision to enter into an ill-advised, near universally opposed teen marriage to yourself, except... It's about how it's her destiny to become a vampire and oh yeah she really loves Edward too but now mostly this choice is about self-actualization for her and then they set a date for a wedding ceremony in August because it is very important to Bella that she be transformed into a blood-drinking immortal before she reaches the ancient and decrepit age of 19. The end.
1: Okay. So I thought the fourth one was where it really started to unravel. But after hearing Jen summarize the third one, I'm like, okay, no, it's been coming off the rails for a while now. (laughs) But nonetheless, (laughs) Breaking Dawn part one, Edward and Bella are getting married, and they do. And we see Anna Kendrick in what is this movie's only breath of fresh air. I think Bella wants to bone before she gets turned into a vampire, which makes Jacob really mad, even though it's none of his fucking business, but that's kind of his whole deal. I guess they go to Brazil. I think question mark for their honeymoon. They go to Esme Island. Is is that canonically Brazil or is it?
0: (laughs) It's off the coast of Rio de Janeiro, I think.
1: Yeah, so that's gotta be Brazil. Yeah. Well, how many things in this series are called Esme? What? What what is with (laughs) anyway?
2: Does she have a flag on the island? Is it just a flag of Esme's face? (laughs) Oh, that's Carlisle's wife, by the way. For any listeners who are new to this, should we, uh, Sadie, give a quick rundown of the Cullen
0: family? Oh, yeah. Y'all fucking know who these people are. (laughs) Anyway, so there's Carlisle and Esme. They are the, the head, the patriarch and matriarch of the Cullen family. And then there is Rosalie, who is a blonde and she's mean. Not much else to say about her. Emmett is her partner, and he's just like a jock. I don't know. And then Alice is the most interesting character, in my opinion. She can see into the future. She's kind of a pixie. And then her partner is Jasper, and he is just like, (laughs) I don't even know what to say about Jasper. He just doesn't have any emotions ever, but he can control other people's emotions and like make them calm. And then, of course, there's Edward, who died from Spanish influenza in 1908 or something. And then he was bit by Carlisle against his will, question mark. And I think that's it. Oh, 1918,
2: yeah. No Spanish flu anyway. I know that because of the, you know, the current pandemic that we are living through. My dad told me that they didn't get that influenza outbreak, which was very unfortunately called Spanish flu here because it was absolutely not the fault of the Spaniards and they were the ones trying to do something to stop it. But it was not, you know, wrapped up until about 1921. So we're in for good times with COVID. All right. Sorry. Carry
1: <laughs> Ed- Edward out there somewhere is like, really grateful that he's a vampire and can't get another another global pandemic disease. I hate to think of the thought of that character still existing today, though. (laughs) Anyway, this is the family she's married into. They get to the Brazilian island. They are married now, so it's okay for them to have sex. And they fuck a bed to splinters. But because Bella wakes up the next morning with some of the lightest possible bdsm bruising imaginable (laughs) edward is like no like we can't fuck anymore i'm gonna like you know kill you if we do it again but oh no here comes morning sickness because if there's something the sexual politics of the twilight saga are equipped to handle It is an unexpected pregnancy. (laughs) Bella wants to keep the baby. Edward wants to get rid of it because it's going to be a half vampire, half human baby, and it could kill her while in utero. So Bella has to convince the other Cullens who Sadie just introduced us to, to let her carry the child to term. Also, Jacob's mad about it, even though, again, it's none of his fucking business. (laughs) The fetus grows super fast. Edward reads its thoughts. Apparently not well enough to hear the thought, please don't name me Renesmee. Whatever you do, don't (laughs) name me Renezme, which would be... Any of our number one thoughts as fetuses?
2: I don't know if I had to pick between the alternate option and Rennesme, I could at least go by Nessie as it was going to be
1: what EJ Edward Jacob if if uh, yeah. the baby was a boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Neither option yeah, is a great that's what option. Destroyed me. <laughs> anyway, Bella breaks her back seemingly as punishment for considering the name Rennesme. <laughs>
0: She breaks her back for no fucking reason. She
1: She just gets up a little too fast. (laughs) Yeah. But you know Bella, so clumsy, always getting paper cuts and slipping on the ice and (laughs) breaking your whole back while standing up. And
0: shattering your knees when you crumple to the floor.
1: (laughs) There's some bad CGI. In this, in this movie. Anyway, she has to, I think I might be out of order again, but she has to drink some blood smoothies so that the half vampire baby has enough nutrients to survive. (laughs) Bella gives birth and the wolf pack is like mad about it. And Edward tries to bite her back into eternal life, but it doesn't seem like it's working. Jacob barges in the door, sees a CGI renaissance and then quote unquote imprints on her at which point i shouted fuck this movie and the rest of this was a blur and honestly (laughs) the next movie like this is a problem this should have been a problem when this was written it should have been a problem when it was a movie it's definitely a problem today i don't care what your like thing around imprinting is but we all talk about it and it's Bad.
2: Samantha, can I interrupt you for just an instant to also note that Jacob had promised the other werewolves that he would murder the baby. And that is why he was entering the room at that moment was to kill an infant. And instead, he dropped to his knees overcome with love for the baby. Boy. Who is apparently now doomed to grow up to be in love with him? Uh, <laughs> uh.
1: I can't. Also,
0: Samantha, you forgot... You forgot one of my favorite parts, which is that Edward has to eat through the placenta. Okay.
2: Yeah. It it was a vampire tooth cesarean. The exacto knife or whatever that uh, that Rosalie tried to use was was blunted by the power of Bella's placenta. And
1: I must have like passed out during this part. How to just get in there?
2: We gave you this assignment, Samantha, because you are the horror movie fan. You. <laughs>
1: It wasn't even like (laughs) horrific enough to like feel horrific. Like the effects were just so (laughs) bad and like weirdly done that it just felt like comical to me. I don't know. Like Alien was in 1970. Like we know (laughs) how we can do something horrific bursting out of someone. And then 50 years later, we've just forgotten how to do that because. (sighs) people got computers. Anyway, the original Jurassic Park is the best computer generated imagery <laughs> is a blight on the industry. <laughs> Let's go back to practical effects. Let's remake this movie with practical effects.
0: I just as I know, I'm doing the last one breaking down part two. But before I get into that really quick, I just have to say that I looked up the special effects for one of the later or one I looked up the budget for one of the later movies. I'm pretty sure it was Eclipse. And the budget oh, this was is be depressing. 68. It was 68 million, but it brought in 698 million. So yeah. what the fuck? I would like to talk to people. like they had so much money that they could have used to make Breaking Down Part One just a little better. Just a little better. And they didn't. Every single Twilight movie is made with not a high budget at all. And yet they bring in so much money each time. It's like, they're like, we know that these stupid people are going to watch it anyway, which I did. I saw them all in theaters. So they're like, let's just, you know, make them for as little as possible. And then we get maximum output.
1: Yeah, they should have just like switched into anime sequences for, um, for like the birth or whatever. Actually,
2: that could have been really effective. I would have watched a cartoon of this for sure. But they obviously hired a Foley artist for the fourth and fifth movies instead of letting their 13 year old kid do it in the basement, which is what happened in the third movie, because that was distracting. Yeah.
1: Okay. The only other thing that happened in my movie was that Bella, we see her eyes open and Edward's biting worked and she's a vampire, which apparently means that you get Permanent gold eye shadow forever. End of part four. Okay. Well, we've made it.
0: (laughs) The final movie, Breaking (laughs) Dawn Part 2. Almost! (laughs) (laughs) Where Bella finally becomes a somewhat interesting character, in my opinion. At this point in my life, when this first came to theaters, I was so tired. And I just need you all to know that. (laughs) We open with Bella as a full-blown vampire now. Incredibly strong because she's also a preemie newborn. (laughs) (laughs) And she rightfully tries to murder Jacob in cold blood when it's revealed that he imprinted on her daughter, who is now like a toddler. (laughs) Anyway, so (laughs) I have my my own beef about the imprinting and how it could have been a much less creepy concept or system, but they did that. Anyway, this is effectively the end of the love triangle, right? As Bella and Edward are finally paired off and Jacob is dating a baby.
1: Yikes.
0: (laughs) But... Because he's dating a baby, the werewolf pack are officially on Cullen's, the Cullen's side. So, that's good, I guess. Renesmee grows very rapidly over the course of the next several months, which alerts the fucking Voltori again, which is only a good thing because we can see Michael Sheen. They think that she is an immortal vampire baby who are uncontrollable monsters, apparently, and they have definitely offed immortal vampire babies in the past, so they're ready to do it again. Alice gets a vision that the Volturi are coming, so they Avengers assemble that shit. They bring in an exhausted Lee Pace, a frightened Rami Malek, and a bunch of other vampires as allies. This is also one of the highlights for the movie to me, because you just get some fresh faces, which like, fucking thank God. Anyway, the battle commences, Michael Sheen discovers Renesmee is in fact not an immortal child, but he wants to brawl anyway. There's so much bloodshed. The theater was aghast as Carlisle is beheaded. Seth and Jasper get fucking destroyed. Leia falls into a giant crack that opens in the earth. Michael Sheen is killed. And psych, it's actually just Alice showing Michael seeing the future. What would happen if you tried to fight. So he dips. (laughs) And that's kind of the end of the movie, more or less. Back at home, Alice has another vision of Bella and Edward walking down some fucking beach in the twilight and in the (laughs) twilight And a grown up Renesmee shows up with Jacob, confirming that they also are a romantic couple. (sighs) And then Jacob jokingly asks if he should call Edward dad, Ah. which deals me 300 psychic damage every time I watch it. (laughs) Then there's a montage of Bella and Edward's relationship throughout the series because she like opens her mind walls to him for the first
2: time and and Done. I'm done. I'm Wait, done. I have one more note on this movie too, that the part where Alice shows the future vision where Renezme is a, an adult or at least a perma 17 year old who mm, is now with Jake, Not ben. a
0: real person.
2: That is definitely the child actor's face badly <laughs> yeah, superimposed onto an adult body and was so fucking scary.
1: Why did they really keep CGIing me. her when she was older?
2: Yeah. Oh my god, I... wait just a second. Samantha right now absolutely right now you've got your phone on you yeah look up like
1: renesme puppet or renesme look at what they oh were no make, i i saw be. that i went on a deep you dive trying to figure out what the hell was going on with this child <laughs> and like why apparently they couldn't have like a baby and then a like four year old and then like a 10 year old like <laughs> there are child actors
2: in hollywood i don't know but i kind of wish they would have just gone with the scariest baby puppet in the world and just leaned into full horror for the last movie and a half. Just go full (laughs) tilt, show us the... the terror of vampire life you know
1: but per sadie's point it was like (laughs) could we hire an actor no let's spend uh two million (laughs) dollars computer animating this child at various stages of life because this will just make a billion dollars globally anyway for no
0: reason like
1: it looks so much worse it costs them more money and their
0: excuse was like well you'll you would notice the differences between when it's an infant and when it's a toddler and then a child because it ages so rapidly. Um, I think we can suspend our disbelief for this movie which we've done since cinema first started <laughs> yes. I also, think we're good we understand that the infant that was in one scene is not the same as the child in the next
2: we got it they hired a baby to play baby Bella in a flashback who even though it was black and white clearly this baby had light colored eyes like Kristen Stewart in real life even though she was wearing brown contacts throughout the movie which were were the absolute best contacts of the movie because Those amber colored contacts on all the vampires were atrocious and they could not even keep them centered or the edges from showing or their pupils looking the same size throughout. And I don't know why they didn't do just a little bit of CG budget for that.
1: Yeah. A lot (laughs) of questions. There's a lot of
0: could questions.
1: (laughs) We should back up and we should talk about each of our relationships to the Twilight saga. Have we experienced it before now? What were our initial reactions? versus maybe our reactions today.
2: I feel like we should go I feel like we should go Samantha Me and then Sadie in order of least familiar to most familiar with the franchise.
1: Yes. I have never read any of the books. And I had never seen any of the movies, but I was aware of it as a cultural phenomenon. I don't know if I've discussed this on the podcast uh, before, but I am an ex-Mormon. I left the Mormon church in 2007. Stephanie Meyer, the author of The Twilight Saga, is famously a Mormon and has said that Mormon beliefs have influenced her work. And that's definitely apparent to me with the saga's sort of emphasis on premarital sex and other kinds. of weird cultural signifiers which we can talk about more at at length so to me it was sort of a trip back in time into like Mormonism and I think the saga itself is actually like a really kind of fascinating exercise in how you can try to create something that's incredibly popular on a mass cultural level while still staying like true at every point to like a Mormon sexual ideology like it's a fascinating type rope to walk. I think a lot of the like, contrivances and a lot of the weird corners that the narrative backs itself up into actually kind of have to do with that. But we'll talk about that later. As a first time viewer, I think my reactions, I had two points where I was like, really mad. (laughs) One was Edward (laughs) is like, you don't want to be with me when you see what I really look like. And he takes Bella up to the sun so that she can see him in his like, true form or something like that. And I was expecting him to look like Monstrous or like a hundred years old, or for his skin to start like burning or something when he was in full sunlight. And instead, his skin just dazzles like he's wearing like glittery lotion. And he honestly just looks like a human Snapchat filter. And it was like, (laughs) wait, this is supposed to be horrific. And then the second moment where I was incredibly mad, and this is obviously a more important moment morally to be mad was the aforementioned imprinting scene. But overall, I think it's an interesting as a Mormon text. And I think it's sort of like weirdly and troublingly devoid of any sort of camp, which I think you need in a like teen love story with feuding werewolves and vampires. It just felt like it was missing some kind of joy for me. That's that was my 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 virgin take (laughs) on Twilight. It is
0: so special to me, Samantha, that that you managed to
1: stay completely
0: like separate from all twilight things. I feel like people who didn't even like watch the movies or read the books or anything knew like a lot of stuff about it, but I just truly love you so much. I love that you, I love (laughs) that you managed to stay, to stay separate, to stay pure. It was pure and unsullied
2: (laughs) (laughs) until now.
1: I didn't want to watch it unless I could commit to it for all of eternity, you know?
2: Oh which you now have, as this podcast will surely be archived somewhere (laughs) go down in (laughs) as one of the great masterpieces of human history. Okay, is it my turn to talk about my experience with Twilight? Yes, yes. Well, I don't know if I made it super explicit before. I probably have on this podcast. I keep getting down on myself when I listen back because I'm like, ugh, I just talk about myself all the time. But sorry, guys. It's not because I'm like trying to be self-centered. It's because I try to like relate to and empathize with other people by finding commonalities between our experiences, you know? So that is why I talk about my own history on this podcast. So I may have mentioned at one point that I myself was teen married, which ended in divorce shortly before I was, well, no, more than a year before I was Sadie's age. But that fourth movie brought up some weird feelings before it descended into really weird CG and vampire tooth cesarean sections. Let's see. Also, I was a huge, uh, vampire media fan. I definitely, I haven't read all, especially because she can't, has come out with more since, but you know, of course I did all of the Anne Rice novels and I was a huge early fan of the, well, I mean, early in my life, not yet. They had been out since like 1993 and I discovered them in like 2003. of the Laurel K. Hamilton books until I finally had to fall out around book 17 after it was just getting too ridiculous even for me to stick with it. And I used to, uh, I don't know if I would actually say that I played Vampire the Masquerade because I got kind of creeped out because the group that I played with in high school was all cis teenage guys besides myself and they kept trying to sort of railroad me into being the sexy character. But I did read all of the White Wolf Vampire the Masquerade players' guides religiously as if they were textbooks and could tell you like a disturbing amount of lore about it to this day. And so when Twilight hit my radar in 2008, I was 22, recently liberated from my teen marriage, and also had all this vampire lore behind me. And I was confronted with Sparkle Boys and I was repulsed. I was just discovering feminism. I was horrified by Edward's controlling nature and by the weird disregard for all rules of vampires, regardless of franchise or (laughs) with the sparkle in the sunlight and the no downsides whatsoever to being a vampire besides maybe not having a soul that really doesn't seem to trouble any of them. And I was super creeped out and I saw the first movie in theaters and I made my now life partner go see it with me. We were very recently dating then and thought that it was a good sign because I thought it was going to be campy. Like Samantha said, there is no camp in these movies and that's a little bit disturbing. But at the part where... Edward says that he's been standing in her room and watching Bella sleep every night. Our entire theater sighed in this one big, (laughs) and my now husband leapt literally out of his chair. I grabbed him because he was about to make a scene and was like, no. No, no, that's not good. So, and now I have made him watch all five of these with me because he is a devoted listener of this podcast and I wanted him to have done his homework and understand what he's talking about. And then, so yeah, I was really upset about Twilight for a while. I thought it was a terrible influence on the youth and, you know, was to be ignored. And then I watched, while very chemically intoxicated, the Breaking Dawn part two once on... Streaming and thought that I was hallucinating most of it because what in the hell is going on and who are all these characters and that whole giant battle scene where many heads are ripped off and beloved characters are thrown into a pit in the earth. And then they're just like, suddenly like, psych, didn't happen. Like that was a bold choice on the part of the creators. And that is my experience with Twilight up until this week when I watched all five of them.
1: Oh, you both bring so much to the table. CD, were you taking notes? (laughs) (laughs) I thought I, heard, I thought I heard a pencil. Are you are you psychologically analyzing us based on our responses?
0: <laughs> I'm writing down. No, I had I had my mic muted. I'm surprised you heard me. Maybe.
2: It might have m- been like the scritch of like my toenails on the ground and discomfort.
0: I don't <laughs> oh, know. <God. laughs> okay. So I first read these books when I was, I think I had just, just turned 12. And I was obsessed with them because... I had never read, I guess I just never thought that books could be like fun romances before. Because up till that point, all I had gotten was like, you know, like the books that you read in middle school, like for class, and like Magic Treehouse books, which are like fine, and like other types of just like adventure, like Levin Thumps, Fable Haven, Harry Potter, but like romance is my shit. And so... When I got these books, I was obsessed with them. And I read them about like a couple months, I think, before the movie came out. And then I went and I saw the movie. I was obsessed with it. I saw it with my parents and my grandma.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Put a pin in that. I'm going to ask you later what grandma thought.
1: Carry on.
0: Oh, I can already tell you she loved them. She loves them so much.
1: My mom too. My
0: mom also loves them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> My mom has read all of the books. about it. Your
2: mom too. Yeah. All three but moms. She's, three of three she moms. She
1: is similarly horrified by the imprinting plot line. Yeah. We'll come
2: back to
0: that. I have
1: no idea. But
0: I, <laughs> so I watched all of them in theaters. I was very disillusioned by the time Eclipse came out. I think that was when I was just like, oh, like I went and I saw all of them, but Really, by breaking down part one, I was very over it. And also, by that time, I could definitely pick up the anti abortion, like subliminal messaging. Not even subliminal, the message
1: (laughs) of breaking down part one. There's no subtext. And I just wasn't in
0: it. It's just a little baby. (laughs) But I have seen the movies countless times. I think they're just evergreen to me in terms of bad movies that are just like I know them so well. I know every bad thing about them. And so when I'm in the mood to watch a bad movie or like laugh at something with my friends, I always turn to the Twilight movies. (laughs) I've I've just, I've seen them so many times. Like I'll just randomly be like, you want to have a Twilight marathon? But I haven't watched them by myself ever. I think until this week when I had to watch all of them. And it was an experience.
2: (laughs) You did make your dad sit in on at least the first one. Yes, I did. I did.
0: I had him sit (laughs) on the first one. And then I was like, do you want to watch New Moon? And he was like, oh, no, couldn't possibly. I gotta go to bed.
1: <laughs> the first one is a much better movie than the rest of them. The yeah. first one had a little bit of artistry to it, some angles. I don't know. <gasps> I
0: really like Catherine Hardwick's direction she was the director for the first one and then the rest of them were all directed by men once they found out that it was like gonna be a kind of a cash cow situation and i think that she did so much with the material that like i don't even want to think about what the rest of the movies would have looked like if she hadn't laid any kind of foundation because i remember reading an interview and i'll find it and post it on our twitter at ysstog if i can find it but It was with Catherine Hardwick where she talks about how she spent a lot of time convincing Stephanie to include more people of color in the movie. Like, you know, if, like, there's Eric, and there's Laurent, and Bella's friend that isn't Jessica, and I can't remember her name. The one with the cute glasses. Just, like, like little, th- like, stuff like that, yeah. And then also just, like, the kind of fun, campier parts of the movie, like the baseball scene, which is one of my favorite parts of Twilight. That was something that, you know, Catherine, like, kind of pushed to, like, have that be, like, a fun moment. And the soundtracks I loved, I, like, wore out my, D- my CD player on those soundtracks. Tracks. I was obsessed with them, especially the first one. That
2: was a solid but yeah,
0: soundtrack. it was. I think they're. I think they have good soundtracks all around. Actually. I I dare say.
1: (laughs) There's good music, but Bella doesn't even like listening to music when Edward's not around, because she is not a person unless she's around the person she's in love with. God. The frustration for me with this whole thing, and why our job is even impossible, is because I don't know what the books are like, but Bella is not, like, a character. She's just, like, a piece of paper. She's, as Jen said, a vacuous nothing burger. She may be the most passive film protagonist i have ever seen and the most active things she does in five movies are jump off a cliff cut her own arm and i think once push edward back into a building And it's like, those are the big choices she makes.
2: I must come back because again, because as I mentioned, I forced my partner to watch these with me and he forced me to rewind because he was so horrified by the Foley sounds in the third movie. That was so out of nowhere when she- just hauled up Jacob goes in to kiss her she pushes him back which he accepts he didn't try to come back at her and then she just punches him in the face which I guess was like to show that he's like tough as a werewolf but it was so confusing that I didn't register until rewinding and watching I didn't even realize what had happened and my spouse said that it sounded like she had just punched a rubber chicken and it did (laughs) because she did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't
0: I haven't read the books since I was 11 or 12. But she it's very it feels like a like a reader insert fan fiction. Like mm. Bella could be anyone. She's a total stand in for people. And so she's super generic because they had because I, I don't even know maybe Stephanie is like that. You know, maybe it's just maybe Stephanie just inserted herself into the books
1: and Stephanie's just like. It's like she used to dance. She used to like make crafts with her mom. It, like she she doesn't do any we meet her and then she meets Edward and then her whole life is about Edward and coming from Mormon culture where like early marriage is really strongly encouraged that can be hard to watch because you kind of want people to have more like fully formed senses of themselves and hobbies and interests that are going to sustain them through their life before they they launch into a relationship so that they can have sex which seems like it's Bella's whole MO. That's
2: to just be frank with the listeners of our podcast and because I share so much about my own history on this podcast I do not um, advertise it heavily on my private social media channels where family members might listen to it. However, I had had premarital sex by the time I got teen married but if you grow up in a religious tradition that inundates you with the the of premarital sex and makes you feel really guilty about it and makes you think that it'll somehow be okay if it's your big true love and you get married afterwards, which is incredibly common. This is not just me here. Well, for one thing, it's not just easy to turn off and uh, be like, okay, sex is cool now when you, you know, you go through the little ceremony and you're still a weird teen trying to figure this out. But everything about this, Edward's creepy, focused, on her virginity and uh, like uh, I lost completely where I was going at the beginning of that but oh that's where I was going the speech that she gives at the end of the third movie where they're in the flower field and clearly I'm not sure if by the time this book had come out definitely by the time the movie had come out there had been some blowback about Edward's behavior being abusive and Bella not making her own choices and whatnot. So they have Kristen Stewart deliver this fucking wild speech about how her doing this, making this choice is really like for her and, and achieving her own destiny and not just because she's in love with the dude and like I, wants to cut off all avenues of potentiality and just set herself on one line. But that's what it is. It really struck me that she had this line that she was like, I know what I want uh, from my life and I'm ready to start living it and that's what you say when you're a 17 year old or as Bella was canonically 18 who decides you're gonna get married because you think that you have to do this thing before you can live instead of just living because life is really long and Anna Kendrick and her valedictorian speech really had the right idea you have a lot of time to make fuck ups and like as long as they're not too expensive go for it you know
1: yeah it's just hard not to read it is like a text about like abuse gaslighting and manipulation that like these mythical dangerous men it's like oh there's no one else like them and then she feels like everything is so humdrum and boring when she's hanging out with humans and it's telling that she like doesn't hang out with them anymore after falling in love with Edward and finds it like weird and dull to like be around Anna Kendrick or Mikey or or whatever it's just like this is what someone does when they take over your life in a monomaniacal way like they consume you and then you don't want to like do anything with anybody else anyway I'll get off my my soapbox (laughs) so
0: (laughs) anyway um, team Edward or team Jacob
1: It's, like, weird because they are at once, like, just bad movies that you can watch and you can disconnect the part of your brain that's like, oh, my God, this is, like, creepy and, like, incest-y and the Jacob Renesme thing is totally unacceptable. Like, you can switch off your brain and just consume it as trashy cinema. But then, like, the second I remember, like, I'm a human being living in a social world, I'm like, wait, what the fuck am I doing? Like... You just have to suppress it, Samantha. Yeah. The way I watched all these movies, by the way, was I went on a 10 mile. hike up to a mountain lake 10 mile round trip, uh, not 20 mile round trip. So the next day I was so sore and exhausted that I just couldn't move. And that's how I how I watched them. So I literally did have to just like suppress my entire physical and mental (laughs) well being to consume them all. But now my body is healing, and I'm like, wait, what have I done? I feel like I've ingested poisonous venom that's going to vampire me now. Oh, that that reminded me, Samantha, really quick before we get into the love
0: triangle aspect, which is what everyone's here for, let me tell y'all a fun fact. But first, a question. How How do you think that Edward fucked Bella? <laughs> what do you think it ha- with his erection? Tell me what you think. <laughs>
1: And then I have an answer for you.
2: Oh my god. Samantha, you go first, because I, I too, have ideas about this, but I want to marshal them.
1: Okay, so you know how when the vampires move in these movies, at least in the first one, they have this kind of weird, like, like effect where it's like they're kind of jetting across the screen with little blurs and echoes of them behind them to imply that, like, look, they're moving so fast. I think it was... (laughs) I think it was missionary sex, but just really fast. So if we saw it, it would just be Edward, like, blurry missionary over and over again. And it would be horrifying. (laughs) And he went so fast that the bed collapsed. Because I don't think that this movie has the erotic imagination to, like, picture any sort of other position
0: But does he have any blood in his body and enough to get a boner?
1: Oh, okay. That's that's what
0: Okay.
2: That that's the second part of my question. I have wondered about this so much, right? Because this is made explicit in the Laurel K. Hamilton novels when, spoiler alert, Anita Blake (laughs) Makes the truly horrifying, as I thought at the time, but then like Richard the werewolf gets way character assassinated later, not to the level of falling in love with a baby. But anyway, there's this, there's a love triangle between uh, Anita, the vampire hunter zombie raiser, Jean-Claude, the lecherous ancient French vampire and Richard the werewolf, right? Who uh, uh, kind of is like weirdly edward in that he wants to like wait till they're married to do it because and he's all like horrified by his own werewolfism or whatever and he like got it like uh like it's a virus or whatever anyway anyway eventually anita chooses jean claude and when they first took up he can't get a boner because he hasn't fed yet and there is an extended description of her performing oral sex on his flaccid member and so <laughs> I have thought about this a lot since and clearly these vampires can fuck but I, I are they still made up? because the questions raised in the third movie they are made out of like rock crystal they shatter and they make clanging noises when they die they do not bleed so they must be hard like their whole bodies oh like you know boner or not and like <laughs> what else oh yeah also that was a big that was a plot point there where they had the situation where Jacob had to warm Bella because they're on top of a fucking mountain and she (laughs) wore a tiny jacket with no gloves to spend a night out on a mountain up over Seattle in a tiny tent but Edward cannot warm her with his body heat because he has no body heat. So they must be cold as well. I, I mean, presumably they at least have some soft and bendiness.
1: At the risk of getting too graphic, <laughs> I have the inverse question, which is what happens to vampire women? I recently watched a horror movie called all cheerleaders must die that's about like vampire succubus stuff and it's campy and fun unlike Twilight that's promising. And, and when one of the cheerleaders becomes a vampire she has sex with a nerd in high school who has never had sex before and so he thinks that sex is supposed to feel cold to be euphemistic <laughs> about it and so he goes up to the jock kids at high school and he's like yo I got some sweet fridge tonight like I got all up in that refrigerator (laughs) oh my god (laughs) <laughs> and it's supposed to be like a mortifying, embarrassing moment for him that he thinks that vaginas are supposed to be cold. So I I I wonder about the temperature of everybody's genitals in this movie. The temperature? When- well, how would you your
0: like, work? like? Would you like to know the answer to uh, my to my erection question? Yes. The official answer from Stephanie yes. Meyer. <laughs>
2: Enlighten <laughs> us. Please.
0: It's it's flammable venom baby wait what his erection is is filled with with flammable (laughs) venom venom it's venom
1: so you're why did she answer this
2: oh you want me to read her whole statement i have it yeah because i'm imagining that like what because he has that zippo in the third that what he like holds up his genitals and like warms it up and it's flammable and uh, please just tell us sadie So
0: she kind of goes around it and just like says essentially that this liquid does everything that blood does. And this was in direct response to a question about Edwards Boner. She says, (laughs) a fluid similar to the venom in their mouths works as a lubricant between the cells, which makes movement possible. Note, this fluid is very flammable. Throughout the vampire's body are many versions of venom based fluids that retain a marked resemblance to the fluid that was replaced. And function in the same way and towards the same purpose. Dot dot dot. Though there is no venom replacement that works precisely like blood, the functions of blood are carried on in some form
1: by venom. So his boner could blow up if, if yes.
2: He g- and, and see. Oh my god! Also, danger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's so many. There's so many danger. If he goes too fast as he obviously is going to because vampires go at super speed, could the friction light it up? Like, is it only safe to have vampire on vampire sex? Is that why- That's
1: why it's so dangerous. Vampire sex.
2: Cause so to go way back to this original speculation, what I was, I was definitely on Samantha's train of thinking that this was obviously a missionary only thing. But I was thinking that he was like for him going incredibly slowly and just the tip and just like edging it out the whole time and that's why he destroyed the bed because he was like you know trying to not destroy her body and then those tiny bruises that she had were so discouraging to him this it's a lot but okay so but when both edward and bella are vampires they fuck and just like throw some pillows on the floor they don't destroy the bed So is it just that they're like on the same speed level then? So it's like they can coordinate with each other or is it because as Sadie mentioned in the very first summary, this is a family of, of foster siblings who fuck each other. So do they just all don't leave their shared house when they want to go do it? Like oh,
0: do they man. how is the house yeah. not destroyed, you know? Yeah, I think I think they even mentioned that they they give Bella and Edward their own little house and then they mentioned that like for the first like 10 years that Rosalie and Emmett were together, they had to like get their separate place or something. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just venom
2: Venom Dick.
0: And that's it. That's all I had to say that's about that. And Sadie,
2: this raises also very important questions about oral sex, which if they're both vampires, I guess they can deal. But like what the fuck? I don't think they had any of that when they yeah. were right? interspecies. Clearly they were not. When they were playing chess and stuff, it's like Edward you could like exert no effort with your thumb to like get her off like 37 times in a row. Like what are you doing, my man? Like <laughs> <laughs> this is so bad! <laughs> like
1: what? <laughs> (laughs) Edward's an old fashioned kind of guy. He doesn't believe in things like. I thought
2: (laughs) that was going to be a plot point. They showed her climb on top of him at one point. And I thought that that was going to be a like, like a transformative moment or something where she was able to set the pace and like control things. And like, they were able to have sex again. But instead he just threw her off. And then the next day it's like, whoop, she's pregnant. Well, now she, it looks like she's in the final stage stages of serious meth addiction for the next months and then whatever happened you know with that birth scene
0: okay i literally can't talk about this anymore we have to switch to another topic which is which is my my first point in jacob's favor is that sex with him would be better i have to say it 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 wouldn't involve venom i'm assuming it would be warmer and there would be a, a slightly lower risk of actual death. I have I have a lot more Jacob thoughts, so I'm ready.
1: <laughs> I counter you with Jacob is a pedophile. This will be my counter for any point in Jacob's favor. <laughs>
2: Okay, well, Samantha, that is how Stephanie Meyer fucking nerfed him because she knew we would choose Jacob because he is alive overall. So she's like, guess what? He's in love with a baby now, motherfuckers.
0: So, okay, in case, in case there, okay, just to clear up the air, right? So Jacob was cool up until he turned to a werewolf and then he got weird and possessive, right? Are we, are we in agreement with that? He was cool Uh up until that point. That's because when he turned into the werewolf, he low-key imprinted on the egg of Renesme that was in Bella's uterus.
2: Oh my fucking God. And you know what? I buy it, Sadie, because or her b- that's
0: that's why. I That excited. was their
2: explanation later. Oh, that's why I thought I was in love with you, Bella, because I was in love with your fetus. Yeah. That was that's mentioned it. in they, the they movie, like literally,
0: right? Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. But I just I just need to reiterate that that's that. <laughs> because it's it's so incredibly weird. But I really <laughs> love and miss The Jacob from, like, the first movie and a half. Me too. I think he's great up until he gets weird and a pedophile.
1: Is... (laughs) Is that his real hair?
0: When it's long, no, it's a wig. Okay. Uh, you know everyone
1: has really bad wigs in this movie, per Jen's oh, point. Yeah. And Alice especially gets like progressively worse and worse wigs the longer the series goes on. She would have been in a clown wig by movie seven if there had been <laughs> one. <laughs>
0: I will say not in Jacob's favor because he did fall in love with a baby. That's on period. That happened. Terrible. Pedophile. But Edward being 100 years old and falling for someone who had just turned 17, also not super cool <laughs> and then also watching her while she slept <laughs> yeah. not great all around yeah yeah
2: there were some rapid rewrites there where like uh, whatever the response was you know coming out from who was reading this as they they like that's what i was like oh my god like there was some quick character assassination of jacob to make him completely unacceptable as an option and then there was some weird edward became very unlike his betrayal in the earlier movies where then he's like, oh, I love you because you're an empowered woman who doesn't listen to me, Bella, when that was exactly the opposite of his reaction earlier, you know? (sighs) Anyway, unpopular opinion. I like Jacob's bad wig, though, better than his short frat boy hair. Dare I say I agree with you? You may. Join me, Sadie. (laughs)
1: I thought he was more attractive if only because he had human eyes and not whatever weird color of contact lenses Robert Pattinson had in this movie.
0: (laughs) So bad. Oh, I'm yeah. Edward just looks, Robert Pattinson just looks very strange this entire movie. And I think it worked the best in the first one because the whole lighting situation was very cool toned and lots of blues and teals and grays. And so it fit that he was really pale. But then in the next four movies it just he just looks like a porcelain doll and like his lips are like inhumanly red and it just looks
1: (laughs) weird he looked the most vampiric in the first one and i feel like the more vampiric you try to make him look the cooler it is and then later in the series he was just kind of like sort of pale and we just had to know that he was a vampire i guess instead of like having there be visual like strong visual indicators of his vampirism but i'm just kind of upset generally about like what the franchise does to vampires who are supposed to be immortal decadent creatures who you know traffic in all sorts of moral relativism and instead this whole franchise assembles vampires into like uh a nuclear family that looks like they're from Arizona and uh, like <laughs> makes their whole thing that they have to control every impulse they have.
2: Yeah. 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 Okay, wait Wait a second. I want to keep talking about the styling for a second because it made narrative sense. Edward's eye changes in the first movie were part of the plot. And maybe I only know this because I read the first book, but like when his eyes look all dark, that means he needs to feed or whatever. And then when they look all like golden, that means he's cool and can rub elbows with the human peeps, you know? But that was so inconsistent over the entire series like it got really wild and like sadie was saying about him or uh, whichever one of you was talking about how he looked like a fucking corpse with red lipstick like, that was very effective in the first movie, where it seemed more deliberately deployed. But then, as the movies carried on, it got super weird, right? Because this is, like, a family of, like, how many... There's, like, seven of them. The the three couples plus Edward, who are vampires. And I don't know what was going on with the makeup team, but they all looked completely different levels of corpse at any different time. And, like... The the guy who played Carlisle fucking pissed off somebody high up on the style <laughs> yes. team because he looked like garbage as the movies went on. And he's a good looking man, so what the hell?
1: He was really hot in the first one. I thought he was the hottest character in the first one and then yeah. I'd
0: agree. He looks like the most at ease, which like Makes sense because he's like the oldest and he's also like a doctor. So he's around human blood a lot or whatever. But he just, he acts the most chill also. I guess Emmett also acts the most chill, but Emmett ain't it for me.
2: Oh my God, you guys, I have to take a celebrity gossip aside here because this has been so overwhelming just narrative wise that I have not even gotten into any of the celebrity gossip asides about Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson's real life relationship and its demise. But the celebrity gossip thing that I must impart on this podcast is the time when the guy who played Emmett did a staged paparazzi shoot where he climbed up into a tree with a hardback book and pretended to be reading and it made its way into many magazines and in the quoted interview he said that he expected to win an oscar within five years
1: and i have not seen it happen yet
2: R.I.P. (laughs) right
1: I'm going to send you. He guys was great in this. the baseball scene, which, as Sadie mentioned, was high cinema. Probably the high watermark for the franchise as a whole. And not in the book, right, Sadie? The baseball scene was a Catherine Hardwick uh, joint?
0: I. Either it was entirely Catherine Hardwick or the scene was there, but it wasn't as cool as it was in the movie.
2: It was, it was dorky as fuck in the book. The first book is the the book that I read. And then I checked because I... I saw one like Jezebel.com or something about the vampire tooth cesarean and I was like, no fucking way, they are shitting me. So I went and visited my mom and looked in her copy, and for sure enough it was it was really in the text. But I read the first one and the baseball scene was in there, but it was not cool and it did not have supermassive black hole playing over it.
1: You know what? Other also, the spider from the monkey first movie not- made me laugh so much. <laughs> I think it's near the spider monkey part and they the camera does this dramatic swoop, and then it's like a Dutch angle like shot of Robert Pattinson playing the piano while Kristen Stewart like lounges on a chaise in the background. <laughs> I (laughs) laughed out loud so hard. It just was like hilarious watching these two. I think they were both probably like 21 at the time they started these movies, right? Like these two, like young adults, like (laughs) in this like classical, you know, (laughs) hilarious composition. But it. (laughs) <laughs> at least it had some compelling visual vocabulary, unlike the next four movies, which are all just flat and don't understand like emotions at all, seemingly. Like like I noticed it most in the breakup scene where Edward is like, I have to go. And instead of like zeroing in close on Kristen Stewart and getting this really like imminent intimate reaction it just like goes to wide shots of her like walking around the forest and it's like Catherine hardwick where were you when we needed you
2: <laughs> they ran her off so, samantha
0: <laughs> so i I think I remember you mentioned this Samantha in our group chat as we were talking about the movies when we were watching them but would you feel like it's safe to say that the first movie feels Catholic and then the rest of the movies feel very Mormon because I know you mentioned that you were like there's something like weird happening
1: here wow okay let's get into the Mormon thing and I don't want to just be like you know fuck Mormons bash Mormons that kind of thing I bet yeah family who are still in the church. complicated relationship with it that said the the way it handles sexuality is very mormon in a way that like i think is problematic and and harmful and chiefly that like that sex is this dangerous thing that's gonna destroy you unless you're married and then it's okay you know, and and that is one of the interesting things about this franchise. And that's what kind of separates, say, like a a Mormon way of looking at sex versus like Catholicism and in both premarital sex is no good. But in Catholicism, it seems like the stigma and guilt around sex just seems to kind of like last indefinitely. Almost most Mormons use birth control. uh, After marriage, Uh, it's not perceived as sinful to take oral contraceptives and use condoms and so that's where it, it like it feels distinctly Mormon in that like before Edward and Bella are married it's like oh sex is dangerous it's going to destroy you unless you marry me like we can't do this to as soon as they get married they can like fuck their cottage to the ground if they want to and sex is this like wonderful joyful beautiful thing and yeah that it's at once like something you're grateful for in Mormon culture because it's like, oh, well, at least sex isn't something I'll have to feel guilty about forever. But the fact that it's off limits to you until you're married encourages you to get married pretty early just so you can have it. And, you know, I, I have friends who have gotten married early for that reason. And have come to regret it when they realize, hey, I got married to have sex, not because I thought this person would be a good companion for me for 60 years.
2: And I mean, I would say there's some commonalities there in just Southern, regular old, well, (laughs) regular old evangelical Protestantism. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, uh, I mean, my own motivations for my teen marriage were not um, just to have sex because I had already been like, fuck you, God, and you know, done it, but... Uh, <laughs> But I would say that there were very long lasting psychological effects there and that did not, um, maybe if, I, I don't know how it works for somebody who perfectly hewed to their religious tradition and saved their virginity for the night of marriage and then fucked and somehow knew exactly what they were doing perfectly and had a glorious orgasm and felt awesome because that was not my experience. But I will say that it was super weird that when, in my experience, you get early married and are around a lot of religious people, that suddenly there are a lot of, like, people wiggling eyebrows at you and saying, so how's married life, is the phrase. And they're being like, oh, you fuck now, is what... (laughs) It's like, this is uncomfortable. Oh, guy.
1: <laughs> welcome to the club. <laughs>
2: Like and that is kind of like that is sort of a standard in a. I mean, I can't say this across all like romance novels and but the the Twilight type, you know, there's a super weird like level of family involvement and investment in your sex having status in Twilight and many of the spinoffs thereof, where like your siblings. Yeah, I mean, not in my actual life. There, I'm now. I'm projecting myself into you know. Bella Swan and Anastasia, whatever the fuck her name is before she married Christian Grey. But yeah, why in the fucking hell would your sibling or your new spouse's sibling, uh, like ask you about how the bonin is going? That is disgusting. But it's like a major thing in many of these properties. Yeah.
1: I mean, the other the other part of I mean, this isn't necessarily unique to Mormonism but it is seen as like oh the man is the one whose sex drive is dangerous. So Mm. (laughs) yeah, it's like Edward would kill her Edward would destroy her. Sadie, did you manage to escape being raised in a shame based religious tradition? Are you the are you the one only one from the podcast who did not have to, to grow up in a belief system where sex was terrible and awful?
0: So I grew up Lutheran, which is like diet Catholicism, and but very loose, like, I've been in a church maybe twice God. in my entire life. i so um, I've never read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. I don't. My, yeah, my, my parents are not religious really at all. They, like, they're like, if you're going to get married to someone, you have to have sex with them first and you have to live with them first. That is our our stipulation. My dad always asks if I need condoms when I was in college, and I'm always like, "No, I'm good." I love your
2: dad so much.
1: Your dad is the Mean Girls mom. He is the your- mean
2: Sadie's dad should be on the flag. <laughs> yeah, the, as you said via text the other day, I don't even know what your dad looks like. He looks exactly <laughs> what you think he looks like. <laughs> he looks like he looks like yes. a graveyard
0: undertaker. Yes. <laughs>
1: I was picturing a filet mignon with popsicle sticks. That for also. Like, so, so.
0: But I, I, it's interesting that you bring that up because I was also the only one of us that like read these books like when they were coming out. Or like as like a a child, essentially, I was reading these books. And I guess because I didn't have any of that kind of stigma, it kind of flew over my head and I didn't really absorb. I don't know. I guess I absorbed a little bit of that like, oh, like, you know, find a a great person that you can like fix and like they're going to be brooding and like terrible, but like they're going to be special around you and that really informed my romantic life but at leap year listen
1: <laughs> I'm understanding more and more
2: <sighs> I feel so much yeah. better Sadie about your phantom of leap year knowing that yeah because you didn't grow up you know poisoned by <laughs> I don't know I it it I feel the youth are all right you know
1: (laughs) it was surprising to me though like because Jen you and I like both have these like shame based religious traditions that we bring to it and and Twilight can make us deeply uncomfortable for like how it depicts like female sexuality and agency like because of those traditions so it was surprising to me like knowing that loosely about the franchise, that it connected so widely with, you know, a presumably, like, largely secular audience. And I guess it reveals the extent to which, like, patriarchy is not just, like, a religious phenomenon, but just a societal one. (laughs) And so the reasons why uh, Twilight would be appealing don't just have to do with religion it has to do with like how society views relationships as a whole as like men are terrible and broken and dangerous and you have to fix them if and, they choose you you're really yeah special, i don't know
2: man. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah Ugh. i mean there was just there's just a lot about the Twilight books slash movie that went over my head until like late high school and college. Like, for example, her extreme exploitation of
1: the Quilly Oof. tribe, which is unforgivable. Yeah god do you feel like because i i keep on thinking about like how they make it so that edward can't read her thoughts right it's Ah, like she's the she's the special one and how much of a trope this is of like like the protagonist is kind of unremarkable and uninteresting but there's something about them that's special and i feel like that's that's a trope that's very appealing to readers of an impressionable age where oh, you're absolutely shy and you want to be noticed and you're really interesting and you just want to feel like somebody is going to see that and that you don't have to like do anything or like, figure out how to participate in the social world in any way to show that to someone that some you know mysterious figure is just gonna come around and be able to you know oh yeah make you a wizard or a vampire or a werewolf
0: I mean like I waited around like freshman year of high school and like end of of junior high and stuff being like I'm gonna like develop powers or like some cool dashing person is going to come up to me and be like, I sense that you're secretly a, a witch or something. I want to fall in love with you. And I'd be like, well, finally, it took you long enough. I've been waiting. I've been sending out my positive
2: vibrations." Sadie, <laughs> you are obviously a witch. Samantha yes. just plucked you from Twitter. And now we all talk about our most intimate lives together. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: God. Oh my God! I'm I'm your Edward. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes! horrifying.
0: And you also live in the the, yeah. the near Forks in. Yes.
1: I live in the Pacific Northwest. Yes.
2: Oh my God! And you also happen to that be a vampire as well. <laughs> it all happens. <laughs> I've seen Samantha in the daylight a few times,
1: but it's been a while. If I were a vampire, I would kill people. I know this about. But, oh my God! Oh my, come on. Wait it's that i would kill people if i were a vampire
2: yeah i want to get into the uh killing people point of being a vampire but first i want to digress because we have talked about both of your all's most hilarious moments that just made you fucking hee-haw in these movies and for me samantha you brought it up here when i was in the theater And I watched that scene in the very first movie where Edward is talking about how he can read other people's minds, but he can't read Bella's. The way it was presented and framed, he's looking around the room and he's all like, oh, like looking at all these people. He's he's thinking about sex. She's thinking about money. He's thinking about, you know, this. He's thinking about that. He's thinking about his cat. And then he looks at her and he says, you, nothing. And uh, I heard that as she has literally no thoughts in her head. She is so vapid that it's just like, and I started fucking (laughs) guffawing, right? And nobody else laughed with me. And I was like, what?
0: (laughs) <laughs> no thoughts head empty
1: yeah what if that's it what if she doesn't have a psychic barrier she's just literally so boring that, that she has that is no my thoughts. interpretation and he's just fooled by that into <laughs> yes, thinking of that these she's...
2: movies that she just literally she is just so it's just like tumbleweeds in there you know that's what i think the character of bella swan is
1: this is also a very kind of i think more orthodox Mormon way of like perceiving human society outside your oh. special club is thinking that all other people think about it is just like money and sex, right? Mm. And that only you who have been inducted into this special order like able to think about the lofty questions of the world like love and eternity and damnation right (laughs) and that like Mm -hmm. you know and it it tricks you into feeling special and it's also a very dim view of like what what it's like to not be in a religious order which is you spend a lot of time thinking about things that are not money or sex like you know can dogs see colors or like uh you know can I, why can't I microwave pasta instead of boiling it like there are
2: so many things to think about
1: but did you have another laugh out loud moment oh that, that, was, that was that
2: was my biggest that oh I had I had a lot of laugh out loud moments but that was my <laughs> one that I I was always so upset was never recognized because that is like fucking ba-dum-ching comedy like the way that scene is set up like and I yeah every time I see it
1: like yeah. Sadie did you laugh at the back-breaking scene in the movie theater yes or just
0: at home <laughs> I don't know I can remember how old I was I was definitely in high school I I was like yeah this is it like I was cracking up my dad was also cracking up I was like I'm just thinking about it now. The composition of it is, like, you can't, you can't engineer that. Like, if they had been on purpose trying to make that a funny scene, it wouldn't have worked. But because they did, and because the sound of her back breaking, and also her knees crunching are so loud, like it's like surround sound in the theater of her back like snapping in half, just because she bent down to grab her smoothie. It's so dramatic. Her blood It's like her bones were made out of like glass.
1: Are the books funny at all? Like, it- You know, like, because we found all these unintentional moments of humor. But like, do the books have jokes? Like,
0: kind of, I guess. They're not nearly as funny as the movies. Just like,
2: just in the badness of them. Because, Sadie, also, I am super curious about. Because this, this bothers me in a lot of romance novels that I have read. Again, I, I love romance as a genre. And I am far from reading all of them. So I am not, this is not absolutely not an indictment of the entire genre, but in this and a lot of super popular ones, like the protagonists are the most boring characters of the whole whole thing, you know? And like did it, and oh my God, the third movie was the only one that went into the backstories of of only Rosalie and Jasper. And they were both super horrifying and traumatic and absolutely not fit to be crammed into a three minute backstory that was immediately dismissed. And then, I like, so did it go into the books at all? Like, I if I remember
0: correctly, you don't get a lot from Emmett's backstory like at all. Alice, you get a lot more. I can't remember the specifics of hers. But hers is kind of a a much bigger plot point. Rosalie's is treated with a lot like it's kind of a It's very tragic in the in the movies, but it's kind of campy. In the books, it's a little bit more intense. You don't really get much backstory on them. And I for all that they are weird and Jasper especially is just like strange. I was always much more fascinated with them out of the couples.
2: Yeah, 1800%. Like and what the hell? What is Carlisle's deal? And how did he and because they're all like oh carlisle turned me into a vampire and like well why the fuck did he do that why is esme his wife and like what are they what is their weird foster vampire children yeah. situation well, they have set like up here?
0: esme i think esme's baby like her her biological baby died and so she threw herself off of a cliff
1: that's her backstory and then carlisle found yeah. her and, and, and bitter and Vampire venomed her, yeah. back to life. Well, back to undead why, life. Why haven't we gotten prequels? Stephanie Meyer has just like retold the same story from yeah. different perspectives forever. But it feels she like there's up- rich the Carlisle Chronicles. There's like <laughs> rich potential there.
2: Like where are the yeah? Like she set up all these side stories. And then the last movie brought in like 80 characters we could hear about. And instead, Stephanie Meyer is writing just versions of the same story over and over of high school students who kind of want to bone for a minute and then make series of increasingly bad permanent decisions afterwards.
1: (laughs) Speaking of high school, Sadie, to bring it back to the love triangle, in high school, were you Team Jacob or Team Edward?
0: I, full transparency, I was Team Edward for Bella. And I, because I didn't give a shit, and I was Team Jacob for myself. <laughs> exactly, uh-huh. I, was, I was really into and Jacob. You yeah, werewolves
2: are. I mean, being a living human, even though I did dress like a vampire to talk to you guys tonight, <laughs> as you know, because I sent you a picture. I find a werewolf more attractive. Yeah, it, it's because they are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I met him. Like I, I just like logistically, I would never in a million years want to be that type of Stephanie Meyer vampire. It's too much. No. It's like it's very cold. It's very insular. You know, yeah, not with it. Werewolves, one hundred percent. Their
1: houses are so clean. That's so clean and modern. To be a vampire, you have to, you have to live in modern two thousands architecture. That was. The aspiration of every middle class white person at the time is to just have a big house with all these windows and a piano that you don't play (laughs) that apparently Robert Pattinson does. Um, I guess I'm more of a vampire person myself. I think I would rather be with someone pale who just wants to listen to classical music rather than a raw animalistic dirt biker.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Me and Jen are full dirt bike werewolf Uh. people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, like, unfortunately, I know okay, mm. this is a little tough, right? <sighs> to to classify us, all right now, and we may disagree. I am not fucking happy about it, but I myself am more of a vampire than a werewolf. Now, mm-hmm. would I rather bone a werewolf? One thousand percent, absolutely. I would ra- I would rather bone a werewolf and be a werewolf, but I am more of a vampire. Samantha is a vampire. Sadie, you're more of a werewolf.
1: Thank you. (laughs) I wouldn't classify myself as a vampire. I would classify myself as like the obsequious familiar who runs the reception desk at the Volturi (laughs) (laughs) estate.
2: You're the David in... uh, and Anne Rice Books, who is the studier of vampires who eventually gets made into a vampire because they're like, you know, too much about us and we like you also.
1: Yeah. This is a popular, the familiar. It's a big part of vampire lore. There's a great vampire show on TV right now called What We Do in the Shadows that's about a vampire's familiar named Guillermo who lives on Staten Island and he just wants his vampire to bite him but he seems like he's never going to and keeps on just leading him on and in the realm of vampires and werewolves that's who i identify most with some some helpless little human who's just hanging on to a more interesting vampire for dear life hoping that one day she makes me into a vampire yes i'm talking about my wife
2: yeah obviously yeah your wife is probably already a vampire and i love her you know she's (laughs) incredible
1: (laughs) she sleeps more than most vampires but you know they come in all shapes and sizes Sadie you agree with your categorization as vampire
2: no she Sadie is a werewolf
1: got to say i think it tracks
0: <laughs> i'm
2: they a little feral alive. yeah <laughs>
1: i have bitten
0: people you know and not in like a not in like a sensual vampire way like a feral way <laughs>
2: Yeah, I feel like um, Samantha's wife and I, who are humans, who... Would unfortunately, to my view, for myself, be classified as vampires? Like we, we do sleep a lot, you know. Sadie, like, is awake and does a lot of stuff, and also there are always many birds twittering around Sadie whenever we record. Like wildlife my, loves.
1: Yeah, her. you're just in the forest, just having retransformed from your wolf state. I
0: sleep. I sleep so little. My eyes are constant stinging i always go outside and just like celebrate the full moon yeah i'd say that that classification tracks
1: jen were you team jacob or team edward when you first consumed this
2: oh yeah I was, when I first, when I consumed the first book and movie, just knowing... And also, sidebar, this is so weird that this was set up as such a triangle pop culturally. Because it actually is not, narratively. Like, Bella is never even interested in Jacob. So, that's weird. But... No, I was 1000% Team Jacob because I would choose the werewolf every time before he fell in love with the baby. But that was- I mean, listeners know that that's the caveat here. We're not terrible people. (laughs) Like. I did like in the final movie, which I, I finished watching the last hour of it right before we finished this podcast as is tradition. And there was one nice moment with Jacob and Bella that reminded me of their vibe in the, the early movies, you know, or the, I guess the early moments of the first movie. Even though the weird CGI child Renesmee was apparently in the back seat that wasn't apparent at the very beginning scene. But when Bella first becomes a vampire, she straight up tells Jacob that he stinks, right? I think this is in the fourth movie. And he, so in the fifth yeah. movie, yeah, they're like driving. To, they're going to see Charlie, Bella's dad. And um, Bella asks how Jacob's doing or something. And he says like, oh well it's good to get away from the stench of the undead or something like that and she glares at him because she is now one of the undead herself and he looks at her and is like oh you know what i mean and references some of the other vampires that they have brought in i'm assuming the the russian ones and it says something about you know dracula one and drac two like they're creepy and then they're like ha 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 and they have like an Actual laugh together that sounds like the two actors just laughing. That was a really nice moment and made me kind of team Jacob again, even though he is in love with the probably three yeah. month old who looks like an eight year old in the
0: back. Like, team. I again, we can just kind of we've 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 established absolutely terrible Renee's whole plot imprinting, awful, disgusting. That being said, just in terms of like their rapport, especially again in like the first movie and a half I like I like Bella and Jacob together more it seems like they could I don't know he can carry a
2: conversation so that's a bonus in his favor I'm like and Eddie Eddie. lie there look at each other so as mentioned I I made my husband watch all of these with me actually he was Probably it, because he, he forced me to watch it. I kept trying to tap out on the third one and he was like, no, we're going to finish it now. But his theory that I am going to bring up now is that this entire narrative is driven by the vampire's power to enthrall that Edward talks about in the first movie. Edward gives this whole angsty, I'm faster than you. I'm stronger than you. I wouldn't need any of this. But all, everything about me is designed to suck you in and you know and edward talks about bella being his own personal brand of heroin but bella is the one who sits through a month-long musical montage of the seasons changing around her when edward leaves like bella is she's enthralled she is addicted and then she herself is obsessed not only because she's not happy when in the third movie that struck me very much because that one was my one I paid a lot of attention to because I had to summarize it but she is not happy with Edward's declaration of being with her forever you know as uh she she wants to become a vampire too and i think that the entire narrative makes a lot more sense if you view it as bella has become like hypnotized enthralled by vampirism and is addicted and sucked in Mm. and can't function yeah
1: i mean there's ways in which it's more of a conversion story than it is a love story you know uh, she she wants to be a part uh, she wants to be special she wants to feel remarkable she wants to be part of the immortal order it, i i don't know i mean it's obviously been experienced as as romance and i'm sure the books are Primarily focused on how she feels about Edward, but watching it, it felt like I am just watching a vulnerable 17 year old girl get conscripted into a system she doesn't understand. Yeah.
2: <laughs> And that's why Rosalie is the most interesting to me. Like Sadie, I I see your point. Like Alice would be the most interesting to me if I had seen it as a younger person. Rosalie's only characterization in the movies, as as Sadie said, being blonde and mean. But her thing is that she she never she she does mention that she never wanted to be a vampire that she did not choose this for herself. And that is why she is cast as the mean one, who is the dissenting vote when Bella actually is trying to bully Edward into turning her into a vampire by enlisting his entire family against him. <laughs> but Rosalie ha- Rosalie apparently was a romantic who thought she was engaged to the most eligible bachelor in town. And then, had a horribly violent attack that left her for dead and did not even choose or want to become a vampire herself. But then once she did, killed all the people who, you know, were against her. But she's still not satisfied with her vampire existence. She said in the movie it got a little better once she met her beefcake dude, but she's not happy. She doesn't like it. And she's very jealous of Bella's mortality that Bella doesn't give a fuck about
1: (sighs) It's a gift to be human. It's a gift to die. Moral of the story.
0: Well, moral of this story, not the moral of Stephanie Meyer's
2: story. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So, Sadie, I still have been saving this for myself. I have the tab open, but I kind of just wanted to be my brain to just be a blank space. Let us talk now, Sadie, please inform us about all of the characters that Stephanie Meyer named after her own siblings.
0: Oh, Jen oh jen all of stephanie meyer's siblings show up in the twilight series so her siblings names are seth emily jacob paul and heidi and what i find fascinating is not all of them are like like oh they're all side characters just like a fun like you know wink wink you know i put you in my book no no They are all in varying levels in the, in the, in the book. And there's no fucking way that you can't, like, so Jacob, right? Literally this, like the third most important character and also a love interest. That's weird, right? Seth. You know, she must love her brother, Seth, because he's like the baby of the vam- of the werewolves. He's like always does the right thing. He's an innocent, right? Then we have Emily got half of her face ripped Jesus, off, yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> right? So um, that relationship probably isn't great. Paul, Paul is just like there, whatever. Um, and then Heidi is a non-event. Heidi. Like Heidi's just not even there. She, according to this post, she's just some like Italian chick, I guess, from like the Voltori who eats people and says like two words tops. So yeah, it says she's like the Voltori's receptionist. What? So Im- imagine, imagine like Christmas, Thanksgiving, family gathering, right? And you have to look your sister in the eye and know that she made you one of the love interests in her book. Alternatively, that she made you maimed in her book. Alternatively, that she made you just like a side character monster creature. I... This has haunted me since I discovered it. I can't stop thinking about it. Like, I just can't. I don't have any siblings. Can't imagine if I did... Naming the love interest of my book after them.
2: (laughs) What the fuck? What in hell? No. Okay. Because when he told me that this was happening, I thought that like, that I thought that Jane, which also I thought she would have spelled in a weird way, but no, it was just J-A-N-E. The one who was played by, like, L, uh... No, that, was that Dakota Fanning or L. Fanning? That was Dakota Fanning at this point, right? Yeah. Dakota. Um, yeah. I thought that she would be named after a sister who had been mean to her or something when they were growing up, and it would be a funny joke. But no. Not what... Who the f- hell is Heidi? And, and, like, and why in the universe would you name, J- like, the the Jacob after your brother? Why? I That one is... <laughs>
1: What's worse are the gender swapped names that you told us for the the gender swapped (gasps) book.
0: Oh, do you mean Beaufort Swan and Edith Cullen? Is that who you are referring to?
1: (laughs) What makes these people weird are their names, not the fact that they're vampires. They're like, we belong to a special order where we can only have names that have never been human names before.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's Edith. I can't remember all of them. There's Edith Jessamine Royal is Rosalie this is this is pertaining to life and death which is a book that stephanie meyer came out with after breaking dawn and it's essentially just a gender swapped twilight book but spoiler alert um beaufort actually is turned into a vampire at the um, ballet studio scene at the end of the first book slash movie. And he does have to just leave his family forever.
1: Wait, so they can never, they can never get pregnant and have May then, right? Like, because they both become vampires? Yeah, yeah. And so maybe that's the right ending, because then we would have been spared the events of Breaking Dawn.
0: Oh, yeah, I think that that would have been a bit. I mean, it would have been a little sad because like, Charlie and Renee think that Beaufort is dead.
1: Wait, it's but, not Charlie. You know, no, like a, they
0: kept they uh... kept Charlie and Renee. They're the only ones that aren't gender bent. And Stephanie Meyer explained that where she was like, it's unlikely that. In this time, for some reason, she gave a lot of thought into this one aspect. She was like, they wouldn't have given sole custody to the dad at that time. They would have given it to the mom, which is Renee. And then so Beaufort goes and lives with Charlie, the estranged dad. I don't,
1: again. (laughs) The the logic of it is confusing to me. Would you like me to explain again? (laughs) Wait, so... But Renee, she she lives with Charlie in the original, so isn't it just as unlikely that She would live with her divorced dad. I don't know. I guess my brain is broken in so many ways (laughs) after this. I'm glad I'm not a vampire so that I can die one day and forget that I've ever seen these movies. (laughs) You mean you're not going to rewatch
0: them in a marathon with me when I inevitably come to visit? I
1: (laughs) I probably will. I rewatched the first two today. Oh my god. (laughs) Folding clothes because I needed something (laughs) to fold clothes to. And it's great clothes folding material, I think. Also, guys,
2: we still have not even yet discussed Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, their impacts on the celebrity culture and where they have gone forth. And we have not even touched yet on how this fucking bombed. And exploded an incredible mushroom cloud of fruitfulness in the fanfic community. Well, we
0: don't have time to get into all of that. <laughs> it
1: <a> of- <laughs> I feel like we could explore some Kristen Stewart feelings, though, which is that I think it's appropriate that the most prominent heterosexual love triangle piece of cinema of the 21st century ended in Kristen Stewart coming out of the closet. It's a sign of the times in a good way, I think.
2: Agreed. And also gives the extreme counterpoint to the, you know, Bella Swan in a field at the end of the third movie. I know what I want from the rest of my life and I'm ready to start living it, you know, stance. Is that, you know, it could be five years later and you cut your hair off and you're fucking gay. And honestly... (laughs) That's not even like, a you thing. Yeah. That's a, at any point in your life thing. Like, y'all.
0: <laughs> I think what I, what why I maybe keep coming back to the Twilight movies and why I kind of think that they're fun to just like rewatch and make fun of or whatever is because I do like the actual people that starred in it. Like, I like Robert Pattinson as an actor, as a, well, I mean, I've never met him, <laughs> um, but I, I like, I mean, he's kind of kooky and fun and whatever. He's a great actor you know like the movies that he's been coming out with recently are so good and same with Kristen Stewart I don't think she's a great actress but I like her as a person yeah I think that that definitely has something to do with it it was just like these two super straight Mm -hmm. people yeah
2: and like Robert Pattinson reminds me a lot of my brother who is an incredible just super weird person with the jawline, you know and mm. I, so and i'm very happy to see robert pattinson achieving his destiny with that going forward and i think that Kristen stewart i thought that she was the worst actor of all fucking time after having seen the the first movie actually I, and then i did never saw the others except the last until now but I didn't even realize that that wasn't her own eyes. Um, She was wearing weird contacts that probably, and I think that this was Kristen Stewart's attempt to play a very basic straight woman. And she really tried her hardest and this is what we got.
1: Yeah, yeah. She was acting in life and (laughs) in the movies, which was the greater role. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bump, bump,
2: bump. Oh, my God. Also, flashback to celebrity gossip of when, well, okay, I'll give it two, two celebrity gossip flashbacks here. One very recent when uh, Robert Pattinson was interviewed by Jennifer Lopez. They were interviewing each other for the that Vanity Fair celebrity on celebrity thing like last year.
1: And uh, I don't know why. Why? Why? Why do all the celebrities have to interview every other celebrity? (laughs) Is there some spreadsheet somewhere with like every celebrity on the x axis and every celebrity on the y axis? And we're just not gonna stop making videos until every possible intersection has been checked off. This is a huge pet peeve of mine. I'm sorry, please continue. (laughs)
2: No, absolutely. The entire series was garbage for that exact reason, Samantha. But I did love the pairing of... JLo and our pats for that reason because it was so because she asked him about oh because he's going to be he's going to be our bats coming up soon uh the new batman or whatever and she was saying oh but you've been in a huge franchise before and he was he was saying oh but we didn't realize that signing up and j-lo immediately steps into oh you thought it was going to be like a cult classic thing. You thought it was going to be a Lost Boys. And he was like, exactly. And I can totally see that. Like having now seen the first movie and having seen all the scripts and how, you know, anyway. But yeah, he he's always picked really weird choices. And then Kristen Stewart, again, like I said, I think she was she was trying to play a straight girl there. And she was just... The most delightful in that last Charlie's Angels movie that nobody except me saw. I loved it and her. And I wish that it would have taken off. But it was a movie that if it had come out in 2015, it would have soared. But in when what even was that? Late 2019, early 2020, it just clunked. Yeah. Like a clunk, a clunker. But I wish it was for her in her future.
0: (laughs) We can't even rank these.
2: Um, so our verdict is Jacob would have been better until he got plot forced to fall in love with a baby.
0: I hold that. I hold that very strongly in my heart. Yeah. yeah. (laughs)
1: He was, he was great from movie one and a half. (laughs)
0: He was great until he was forced to become a vehicle for Stephanie Meyer's weird opinions on how fetuses are like already human beings that someone can fall in love with. So (laughs) cool.
2: That said, we love Robert Pattinson and his jawline. And he looks beautiful with his more subtle than the body glitter that I wore to middle school in 1999 in We Love You Too, our
1: Pats. Sadie's gonna lose her mind if we don't rate these soon. (laughs) Let's go. Uh, Before I rate them, I will say if you're interested in a good werewolf movie, go watch Ginger Snaps. If you are interested in good vampire content, check out What We Do in the Shadows. These are recommendations for people who uh, were introduced to werewolves and vampires in movies through Twilight many unfortunate souls uh, for you to find better movies and TV shows than these I will give Twilight uh, two um, two flightless birds <laughs> out of five <laughs> it is fun to watch close to it's not very compelling cinema the f- most all two of my stars go to the first movie and then the rest collectively earn zero stars. And my reading scale, by the way, is named after the Bella Edward soundtrack choice for their love, which I think is very telling, called Flightless Bird. And it's <laughs> Flightless bird, a American really poor mouth. choice because it's it's paired with Whoa. a protagonist who has seems to have very little agency. <sighs> and it's like, oh, great. <laughs> flightless bird for a flightless protagonist
2: Sadie I'm going next because I feel like your rating for this should come final (laughs) I don't even know what I'm about to say but I'm gonna say it anyway I what is even our I I make up my ratings every time this is out of five I give this whole movie was just an experience
0: (laughs) an experience out of five
2: Uh, <laughs> like my my dog is joining in in the background um wow this <sighs> This movie was one entirely wasted, super hot lady werewolf named Leah out of five. That's for all five movies is what that covers. And that also is recognizing that currently I do love Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson as celebrity figures. And I recognize the entire enormous universe of fanfic that spawned some of my favorite romance authors off of this but leah was done dirty the entire time and she was really hot and she was there so there is my one werewolf
0: i i give twilight three jorts out of five because <laughs> 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 oh damn i even done with the khakis <sighs> and i and i divvy up my star by my, my rating my jorts as follows one goes to the first movie one goes to the backbreaking smoothie scene which gives me so much joy it's sh- it, it's its own thing. thing and then one to the jorts themselves which brings so much to the cultural canon <laughs> as we experience it and it's just so fucking funny and that's that's the end statement for me. A uh, formerly Twilight fangirl, currently ironic Twilight fangirl. Um, yeah, jorts, jorts for all.
1: <laughs> jorts for jorts. jorts. For... <laughs> Your jorts became rating system jorts.
2: <laughs> well, y'all know now when we meet up um, in real life for the first time when the pandemic is over what the dress code is JORTS <laughs>
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> JORTS all around <laughs> I know what you are
0: Say
1: it out loud. Say it.